Well, I've lost another friend today. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to start drama or bullshit, even though some people will probably already know. And really, it was the shadow of a friend who I already knew I had lost some time ago to the usual suspect of team play on the internet, the usual suspect of I've fallen in with a clique of people who believe that they are right about everything, and now that I have to fit in with these people um, and you're espousing beliefs that I don't agree with, um, I'm just going to excise you. I'm going to excommunicate you, make it clear that I don't associate with you so that I don't have to be held accountable for your actions and beliefs as your friend. You know, I have long associated with a group of people who I don't even mostly agree with. It used to make me really uncomfortable actually back in the day when Endless Jess or Best Guy Ever would make lots of really off-color comments uh, either about trans people or gay people or you know r- racist comments. Um, and it's funny because over time they've both become much more self-critical about those things, much more tolerant. It almost feels like I'm the one who's making the edgier jokes at this point. But it's kind of because my mentality shifted and it's not my mentality about how I feel about those groups of people. It's my mentality about how I feel about the need to ex- exercise the right to say outlandish things and how important it is to me that we make sure that it's understood that what matters in this world is your actions and your your actual beliefs, not the things you say, not the jokes that you crack. Because when you start joke policing, it very quickly takes you down a slippery slope towards authoritative control over language. And I'm very not okay with that. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I associate with those people because I am friends with them. I vouch for them as good people. I understand that they are not racist or transphobic or, you know, or or hate gay people or anything like that. And I am willing to play, you know, to play defense for myself or for them and to, to say, like, if people come to me and say, like, oh, this person said this and you associate with them, I say, yeah, I don't agree with everything they say just because I'm friends with them. If you have a problem with that, fuck off. These are my friends. I'm going to stand up for them. And when people aren't willing to do that for me, it's extremely fucking disappointing because I will, I will stand up for my friends. I will promote them. I will try to help them out. And this is a person who I've, done, I've tried to do a lot for. I've tried to promote their work. I'm a big fan of their work. You know, I've been very positive about them, tried to help them out. And they, you know, regard my help as, oh, well, I got death threats every time you promoted me. Yeah, well, I'm putting you in front of a bigger audience. I get death threats too. I get death threats because I have, you know, there's pieces of shit who follow me. I, you know, I was associated with Monkey Jones for a little while and I had a lot of his troll fans, you know, not only following me, but most likely clicking through to things I promote to fuck with other people who they think might be vulnerable. I, you know, it's unfortunate but that's kind of what happens when you put yourself in front of more people is that you you get more people who want to fuck with you. If you want to grow, you're going to have to deal with that. Anyway, I don't want to make this too much of a personal speaking to my former friend who I already – you know, back when I saw the writing on the wall that this relationship was dissolving was the inspiration for some of the songs I wrote on The World Over, um, particularly Tetragrammaton Labyrinth. Um, but yeah, so – the main thing I wanted to address here was the the, the reason that this, this has finally come out, that this person has finally 
disassociated with me publicly, has finally declared we are not friends, even after years of friendship and having, you know, talked through some of these things before. But this time, no no attempt to address, no attempt to contact me personally and communicate and try to, you know, get to the heart of our disagreement about this subject. Just immediate attacks and mischaracterizations as well. Coming out and stating that I think it's okay to call trans women traps, which I've never argued. Um, I, I guess I haven't been very clear about my defense of the word trap. I do not defend people calling a person a trap because that's a weird thing to do and it's kind of it's kind of gross. I mean, a trap is an anime archetype that has predated the trans movement and usually doesn't even refer to a trans character in particular. Like trap characters a lot of the times it's just a boy who likes to dress as a girl. They're not necessarily identifying as a woman. And the appreciation of these characters has never been, like, you know, a a negative thing. Like, if you were to go back in time to my old Mega Tokyo forums account, my profile banner was just the phrase, I love traps. I was always watching show because they had trap characters. I was a huge fan because I identified with the trap character. I was a young man who had grown up looking like a girl, and when I went through puberty, had like a sort of dissociation with myself where I suddenly, after years and years of having said, I'm not a girl, I'm not a girl, stop calling me a girl, suddenly wished I did look like a girl. Suddenly I didn't, you know, I I had a a sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, dysphoria with my body as a grown man, you know, and I suddenly got fat and grew a beard. And I was like, this is not how I see myself. This is not my mental image of who I am. And traps represented something like that. So the idea of a trap helped me to embrace a trans identity in the first place. When I was 14, 15, 16, that was how I saw myself as somebody who, you know, the, the trans movement wasn't really in full swing at the time, so this wasn't the kind of thing where I could just fall in with a click on Twitter and be like, oh, I'm trans, that answers all my questions, and follow along with the script that's provided as so many young people do now. This was something that you know I had to question and not understand and not have anyone to communicate with about for years and then came to my own conclusions about and ultimately decided that while I do enjoy performing elements of either male or female gender or just even, you know, I don't really think of myself in terms of my gender. Like, I don't go out trying to be a man or to be a woman or anything like that. I just do what I feel like doing and whatever that happens to be, fine. I don't mind being called a man or male because it doesn't fucking matter what people call me or label me. It has no fucking bearing on me. It really, I just don't give a shit. Call me whatever the fuck it looks like I am. Most people think I look like a guy. It makes the most sense and it's the easiest to communicate. So fuck it. I'm a guy. It's no fucking big deal. But the trap concept helped me to even recognize any of this in the first place. It helped me to call into question about my gender. That's why I feel defensive about it because it's something that mattered to me. Something that I personally was affected by. That I personally you know, have some connection to. And so when people say you can't use that word anymore, I'm just like, 
where are you coming from with this? Like, I've never heard trap used in a violent way, in a violent context. And I've also rarely heard it used in non-weeb context. And yes, sometimes there's people using it in different ways. But that's beside the point. Like, just because some people are using it badly, like I said in the last video, it's no different from someone using the word gay in a hateful way. Like, you've co-opted that. The gay community has identified with it and has turned it into not a pejorative. The fact that some people are using it pejoratively doesn't make it a pejorative. The same goes for trap. But none of that is even really what I wanted to talk about. Because something else they said was, how can you laugh at this when there are trans people being killed every day? The answer is that there are constantly being people being killed of every denomination and type all the time. Bad things are always happening. We live in a dark and fucking scary world. And I am constantly attuned to that. I am constantly frightened and afraid. I am constantly thinking about how bad things are. There was a mass shooting 10 minutes from our house just a couple weeks ago. Like, there's, there's scary things happening all the time. And I understand that some of these things hit closer to home for you because you relate to those people more. But bad things happen to everyone. And the only way to deal with living in a place like that is to to not dwell on the darkness of it because you can't do anything about it. I mean, sure, like participate in, you know, anti-violence rallies. Try to, you know, curb the attitudes towards people. But the way to do that is not through language policing and telling people what jokes are or aren't funny to them. Like you have to understand the context of who that person is. I don't find these jokes funny because I'm somehow ignorant to the fact that there really is violence happening against trans people. I find it funny because I don't think the person who told the joke is actually violent towards trans people. And I'm not. But it's just a funny lingual joke. It's the nature of the idea. Like the way that jokes work, what makes jokes funny, is the, it's the structure of the language. It has nothing to do with you know what it means about like oh you said you would you would fucking beat uh, uh, someone until they were disabled like no I'm I, I'm not going to do that it's just a funny idea a funny phrasing a funny mental image you know well maybe the mental image is kind of dark you shouldn't actually picture this joke if you want to laugh at it probably but you know it's it's not. It's, it's not out of a lack of appreciation for bad things happening. Bad things are always happening. Most jokes are coming from that. Most jokes are a way to deal with the fact that things are so fucked up. I, I, there's nothing in this world that isn't fucked on some level. How are you meant to live in this world constantly cowering in fear and being upset over everything bad happening? You won't finish life. This is why I think that so much of this, the trans community in particular is so fucking depressed because they just wallow in it. They're constantly sharing the statistics. They're constantly talking about how bad things are for trans people on the whole and not just thinking about their own experience. And yeah, I'm sure their own experience for a lot of them is tragic. 
it's not easy to be a trans person, especially if your family doesn't accept you, if the society around you doesn't accept you, if you're getting, you know, bad looks, if you're getting bullied by people. Yeah, that sucks. But you need to focus on what's going on in your life. And you need to develop a mentality of how am I going to get through this? Because if you're constantly wallowing in the fact that things are so bad for you and your people, you're just making yourself miserable. And it's not that I'm saying don't care about it and don't do anything about it. Do something. Care. You know, be a part of making things better, but don't lock yourself into this darkness, this mindset of, oh, think bad things are happening, so I have to be super serious all the time. I can't joke about anything. I can't crack a joke about something bad that's going on because, what, it'll reinforce the bad behavior? That makes no sense. That doesn't – that's not how things work. Joking about things does not, you know, empower them to happen because we are rational people. We think through what we're hearing. We can tell – and maybe not everybody. Maybe there really are some people who will be you know, inspired, incited to violence because they heard a dumb thing. Those people are categorically insane. And you can't fix the fact that there's insane people in the world. That is a fact of life because some people are just born with dysfunctional brains. And some people are born to really bad home situations and they don't know how to think right and act right. And those people are going to cause havoc and chaos for everybody. It's not just for whichever target they happen to have picked. It's they're going to find somebody to make their life worse. You know, victimhood is not exclusive to the trans community. It's everyone. We are all victims to some degree of being on earth. You have to be able to joke about it to survive it. That's why I'm very fucking defensive about the ability to make a joke. The ability to describe an anime character as a trap because it makes you feel some good in some way, for whatever reason that might be. Because maybe it helps you to understand your own trans identity as it did for me. And I will not be told that I am not allowed to use the terminology that has helped me to understand myself. You can fuck off with that. So on the last episode, I talked a bit about this idea that I don't take anything seriously, that I don't take myself seriously, that I don't take the things I say very seriously. And I want to expand on that a little bit and try to get into the heart of it. Why do I feel this way? Because I think this has the biggest thing to do with how I run into conflict with other people, how it is that I end up hurting other people's feelings or just being difficult to communicate with. For people who do take things seriously, for people who find a need to be serious about certain subjects, and it's that I am always in an existentialist mindset. I'm always in this state of sort of thinking all of this is pointless in the end. And I don't have a good recourse for that. I don't really know how to snap out of that and sort of just try to live in the moment or like, you know, just perpetuate life because um, you know that doesn't make the question go away. There was a quote from Casey Neistat one time where someone asked him something like, uh, what is the meaning of life or something like that? And he said, like, 
existentialism is dangerous. Stop thinking and get back to work or something like that, which uh, Best Guy Ever re-uploaded that quote as its own video. And it is great advice. I think that most people should heed that warning because you don't want to end up like me where you can't stop. Nothing can stop. And the thing is, you just make your work into that. Like, that's just what my work is, is just the void gazing that I'm doing all the time made into content. And not a lot of people are in a position where they can do that. Um, Exerbia is maybe the only other channel I could think of who's basically made his entire identity and career out of the fact that he can't get out of the existentialist mindset, the constant feeling of, okay, but this is all pointless, guys. Can we... Can we keep acknowledging that? And I know you can't because th then what do you do? Like, what do you do with that knowledge? What, what do you – there's no application for it. Let me back up a second. So uh, there is no – there's no evident meaning to life. We, we perpetuate ourselves on the basis of instinct. We continue to live and to propagate – because we just instinctively want to do that. And all of our, you know, everything we have inside of us is dedicated to preserving that. But is there any good reason for it? Like, we just, like, we just kind of think, okay, well, I want it, you want it, we all want it, so let's base everything around that. You know, like, we can all come to an agreement, at least, at the very least, that we all have the sensation of a desire to continue living and to continue propagating. But does it, does it mean anything? Is it good for anybody? Is it, I mean, let's think about this in terms of uh, humanity, right? We're killing planet Earth. Um, is it morally just for us to go on as a species? Like... Who, I mean, there's no one making the moral decision, right? Are, are we only doing what's right for humanity? Are we considering other life? Are we, you know, uh, is is the propagation of the human race going to be good for most life in the universe eventually at some point? Or are we a cancer on the universe in the long run? Like, these are unanswerable questions, and they just don't matter to most people, and they shouldn't because they don't help you to think about, like... The, at the broadest level, like, the best we can do, the best, like, hope I can have as a human being is to say, okay, well, I know I'm going to die. I know everybody else is going to die. I know that the, the sun's going to die, that the earth will be a frigid, um, you know, ice hole one day at some point in the future. Um is there anything we can do about it? And we don't know. We don't know if there is anything we can do about it, but we could keep looking like we haven't exhausted all of the theory, like, you know, everything we theoretically think we could do, we have not accomplished yet. So like, you know, uh, let's, let's go on just for the sake of that. Maybe there'll turn out to be a meaning in the end. Maybe, maybe we'll, uh, fucking escape the confines of the fourth dimension and, uh, and subvert the heat death of the universe. But like, I mean, maybe it's, I mean, it's a tall order. Like, I don't know if that's, if, if we even have enough perspective on what existence even is to be making any kind of you know, thought about where this is all leading to, right? So, like, 
So it's all it's all pointless. It all comes down to being essentially pointless. So we we have to snap back into the moment and just make judgments on the basis of our emotions. Like we just got to say, okay, well, you know, fuck all that, fuck all the thought, fuck all the existentialism. Um, let's focus on what really matters. Well, okay, you can say that, but does it really matter? Like. I mean, yeah, it matters to you because you're in it and you're doing it. You're a part of it. But, like, it doesn't really matter. It it doesn't really matter. Like, I uh, – yeah, if I get hit by a comet tomorrow and die, a lot of people are going to be sad about it. But, like, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't affect the grand scheme of things. It, it matters to some people and – It'll make some people's lives worse in some way, I guess. Some people may be better. You can't really judge the net benefit versus detriment to society. Like, if somebody, if one person is suffering, yeah, it sucks for that person. But do we know that fixing their problem is the best use of resources that it's not taking away from somebody else? Do we know what the butterfly effect of any decision we make is? No, it's too much. It's too much fucking shit to read. We really don't know. We don't know the consequences of basically anything fucking happening. And in the grand scheme of things, none, none of it fucking matters. So it's like, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm emotional about things that matter to me, obviously. Like, we all are. And that's the, the basic grounds we have to go on. And, like, at the end of the day... You know, if I don't want to offend somebody because I want to preserve, you know, friendship with them, let's say. Like, uh, I'm going to have to watch what I say, right? Um, And, like, that's the only reason to do it. It's the only, the only reason to, 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 you know, to preserve something is, is that you, you want it. It's just my emotional desire to have this thing, and I don't know if that outweighs the actual feelings I have inside of myself that I want to express. Um, I don't know if anything outweighs that for me. Like, at the end of the day, if we're all just making judgments and doing what we feel is right on the basis of our emotions, my emotions are telling me to be forthright. And if, you know, if that is going to push people away, so be it. I, I can't, I can't enjoy the presence of you anyways if you can't, you know, help me with this thing that's, that's churning inside of me. You know, if, if you, if you have to take things seriously, if you can't, like, if you can't deal with the things that I feel and the things that I say, I can't, I can't help you because you can't help me. You can't, you, you, you denying me the ability to express that thing is tantamount to an offense on me. It is it is the thing that will hurt me. It will make me be in pain as a human, and that is a pain I've been feeling my whole life. It's a pain I've always been feeling because I couldn't express this thing to anybody for such a long time. Um, here's a call out for you. Rain, snow, hail, you fucking asshole. Uh, who's been following me forever and always has something snarky to say about my career and uh, seemingly thinks that I'm some kind of like alt-right monster because I don't know why. I don't know how fucking daft you could possibly be. But who said on Twitter, um, I fear for my life regularly and you've obviously never felt that way once in your whole life. And I said, fuck you. I have, and how dare you make that kind of assumption about me? I am somebody who 
continually has always thought that I will be killed by society. Like, I've thought that since I was young. Since I was a child, I have thought, like, I am going to be killed for being too different. And it was hard not to think that when nobody was on my fucking side for most of my life. Like, aside from my immediate family, I did not have friends. I did not have people who were, like, standing up for me. I was just bullied and made fun of and ostracized and left out all the way up through school. All the way up. I managed to have a few friends here and there, like, in high school in particular, like, I found some people I could hang out with, and I still was, like, I was the punching bag of my group of friends. Like, it wasn't as though I had, like, really healthy relationships with all the friends that I had throughout my life. Like, I was generally looked down on by people, or at least that's how I perceived it, because that's how it felt to me at the time. You know, it always felt like I was being treated badly, And I just had no reason to think that society was ever going to accept me. It's shocking to me that I have a career. It's shocking to me every time I get a positive comment on one of these fucking dervishes. Like, the fact that there are people who are telling me that this is, like, this content really means something to them is, it's the most gratifying thing I could ever experience. It's like, I can't believe there's someone out there who can accept this, who can accept this level of pure me being pushed out because it was not accepted. It was not accepted in school. It was not accepted by the people around me. And I really, truly thought, and maybe it's unreasonable for me to have thought this. I mean, I think it's probably unreasonable for you to be afraid for your fucking life on a regular basis. Like, not to say that there's not, you know, lots of violence happening against trans people, perhaps proportionally a larger amount than, you know, people who don't, appear to be trans in, like, an open way, but, like, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily, like, that's just, like, me going around being constantly afraid I'm gonna get hit by a car, you're, like, yeah, a lot of fucking people get hit by cars, a huge amount of the population, but if I go around being afraid of that all the time, that means I have an anxiety disorder, and you probably have that, and I know I have one, because I spent a lot of my life thinking I was going to be killed, for having the opinions I have, for being the kind of person that I am. For sure I think I'm going to still get killed over the lolly thing. The fact that I defend lolly porn, um, that's like, that's something I think I could get killed for in certain places if certain people knew. It's certainly something I think I could be driven out of a place for or ostracized for. I think I could be banned from locations for being outspoken on that subject. I'm constantly worried that someone's going to see me in public who knows the things I've said on the internet and is going to not be okay with it. And, you know, that can turn to violence. I mean, you look at someone like... Sargon of Akkad. Like, I don't agree with anything that guy says. Does he deserve to have fucking milkshakes thrown at him in public because he says things that people don't like? Granted, he is trying to get into politics, so at that point, you're you're actually having kind of a literal effect on people, so, I don't know, maybe. We don't normally condone throwing things at politicians we disagree with, but since he's an internet meme lord, I guess it's okay to people. But, like, you know, any extreme opinion or feeling or thought that you have, yeah, somebody might enact violence against you for it. Um, I too feel that fright. And so for me being told that something I say or feel 
that I, you know, that I experience in my head is, is not, you know, is not okay, is not okay to say, that's just the same beating I've been taking my whole life to me, you know? That's just the same, you're, you're doing to me the same thing that the people who were not okay with me having long hair were doing, you know? If you tell me you can't say this word because it offends me, that's no different to me than telling me you can't have long hair because you look like a girl and boys aren't allowed to look like girls, which is something I was told continuously my whole life, you know? So, like, I can't respect this. I cannot – I can't be around somebody who's going to feel that way. And I can't be friends with somebody who's going to take those kinds of things seriously. And, it, you know, I'm not out trying to offend anybody. I'm just trying to represent my thoughts and feelings as they occur in my head. And I want to have conversations about it. Like – I am not out to represent a side that I've taken and to, you know, push it necessarily. Like, I'm talking about my conclusions and my logic with the expectation that it can be shifted. Like, I find – I'm really creeped out by guys like Jordan Peterson or guys like Bernie Sanders who just say the same thing over and over again. Like, that shit is super fucking weird to me. If you lock into an ideology and you just keep repeating yourself forever ad nauseum regardless of what anybody else is bringing up and you can't address those criticisms or have a conversation about it, that is super weird. Like, I'm here – to address criticisms. I'm here to to have, you know, again, like I said in an earlier episode, I'm not easy to convince. It's not going to be something where you feel differently from me and I roll over to your side, but I can be convinced. There's plenty of evidence to that. Ask the many people who've done it, you know, who've convinced me of something. Like, I want to be convinced because I want to broaden my perspective. But I need the logic. I need the argument. It's not about what you feel or think. It's about you changing the way I feel or think. Because I'm not going to change it on the basis that you don't like it. You know, I'm not going to apologize for feeling the way that I feel, even if it offends you. And if that's something you can't take, I just can't. I just can't be around you. And like, I understand that that limits my connections by a lot of people, but I found them. And I, I really, I cannot tell you how much I value my friends. Like if you've, you've probably heard that I dump a lot of effuse praise on all the people who surround me. And like people tell me sometimes they don't get it. Like, I don't get why you, you know, I don't get why you overhype your friends so much. And it's like, you have to understand these are the only friends I have ever had. I don't have a lot of them. If somebody is capable of handling me, I'm like, holy shit, you are one in a million. There are a lot of people who think they can handle me, but they just haven't seen enough. They just haven't been around enough. They haven't had enough concentrated bursts of meanness, you know? And like, that's kind of what I'm bringing to the main channel right now. Like, the idea of the After Dark channel was to hide me from the public so I would not scare people away. That was literally the intent. I was making My Little Pony analysis videos that were comforting and, and they were really meant to be accessible to even children because it's a kid's show and I figured kids are going to be looking up this stuff and, like, I don't want them to hear a bunch of fucking swears and shit. So I 
you know, and, and pony hypnosis videos and shit like that. So I put that stuff on the After Dark channel so that it would be like this weird alternative place that wasn't connected directly to my identity. And like it continued to grow and foster there. And it's like I'm kind of just done with that. Like I'm done with putting on a public face. I'm done with, you know, trying to appeal to people who who aren't just going to accept me for who I am. Like I'm not – I don't care enough. I don't care enough to have the fame, to have the extra shit like – you know, there are people there, – there is clearly is enough people who do appreciate the pure distilled me that I can have a career off of it. And that's all I want. All I want is enough money to live my life and to be able to continue to do this, you know? But like while making, you know, analysis videos about anime is still something I'm passionate about, the idea of – the crafted image of who is the main channel guy as opposed to the after dark guy. I'm not interested in preserving that because that was never something I valued. That was just for the job. And the job is now going to be the reality of the situation. So yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people who, yeah, are going to unsubscribe because they were not ready for this level of Digibro. And there's a lot more people who, you know, if they met me in real life, like I've had people who were big fans who met me in real life and were disappointed because, you you know, there's more, there's more to it. There's more other annoying features like the fact that I don't look at you in the eyes when I talk to you. I'm awkward and curt. I am not really good at maintaining conversations. I will walk away in the middle of talking to somebody and, you know, like... I will have my attention diverted very easily and I'll cling to whoever I'm with and only talk to them and ignore people a lot. And if any of that is going to bother you, we can't be friends. We can only be friends if you can handle the full brunt of it. And there are not a lot of people I've met who can do that and even if you can do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that we can be friends because you might just be boring. And I just don't have time in my day for boring people. Unfortunately, it's nothing against you. I just don't have that much time. Would prefer to surround myself with interesting people and people who really do something for me and who I like. And I am unbelievably fortunate that I've actually managed to find a partner who can handle the full brunt of Digibro because I did not think it was possible. I really didn't. I did not live my life day to day thinking that I was ever going to be happy like I am now. And that's the number one thing I want to really make clear is that, yeah, I'm in a good position now. I am. And it took a lot of fighting to get there, fighting myself fighting society, fighting anxiety, fighting everything, fighting years and years of suicidal depression, years and years of social uh, maladjustedness to get to a position where I could study humanity enough to understand how to appeal to enough people to actually get some of them to like me and pay attention to me. And the only reason that I have these fans, that I have the ability to do this career, is that I fucking worked so goddamn hard. Because if there wasn't so much of me clarifying and re-clarifying and explaining and trying to get to the heart of it and making myself understood, then people wouldn't care about me. 
They only care because they've heard so much and I've done so much. I've put so much effort into trying to make you care. And that's why I've gotten to this position where I'm in. And yeah, there was some luck involved. There was some privilege involved in getting to this position. No doubt. There always is. There has to be. You can't make it this far with nothing. I mean, you you can, but luck and privilege don't mean, oh, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. It means you had the right information at the right time. You figured out what needed to be done, and most people will not figure that out. It takes luck to be the kind of person who will figure that out. It takes luck to even be intelligent enough to understand how to figure things out. I have that luck, and I have that privilege, but... I was never convinced that that was going to keep me from getting killed. And that's why I can't take anything too seriously. Because at the end of the day, the serious people are the ones who do the killings. And I don't trust those fucking people. Today's Whirling Dervish is going to be somewhat of a mini episode. I'm not going to run as long as usual. This one's coming out just a few days after I put out the the first four episodes all on the main channel, debuting episode four there. Uh, it's, you know, a fresh start for the podcast. I really wanted to put it in front of, not only in front of more eyes, but just to make it not get buried because I was really proud of these podcasts, you see. I feel like this is one of the best series I've started up in a while. It's gotten a lot of really positive response from the people watching it, shockingly. And so seeing it get buried under a mountain of rants was the first time that I really had to reconsider whether I wanted this type of content to go on After Dark. And I would even say that how much I care for content like this is why I decided to merge my channels and put anything I'm proud of on the main one. So, you know, here we are. And, uh, yeah, I'm going out of town for the next five days. Uh, well, I'll already be out of town by the time you hear this, but, you know, I figured I'd just, uh, just fucking go ahead and do it so that I had something to post on Saturday. I'm trying to post a video basically every single goddamn day on this channel. And by I, I mean Digibro, um, not Artso Fartso, um, because they are, they're, they're both working on the same channel. I don't know which one is which at this point. I don't know who's who. I don't even know who I am. I think I might have some kind of uh, dissociative identity disorder going on right now. I don't really know what is up with the art so digibro dichotomy. Anyway, the last thing I wanted to talk about here, I thought about making a vlog about this, but fuck it. Uh, let's just dervish about it, is uh, beauty standards. Whoa, weird topic coming from me. Um, but I'm fascinated by it. Because of the fact that um, I view basically everything in the lens of uh, objectivity doesn't exist, as I've talked about before. And, you know, it's easy enough to apply this to media and to have that conversation about how there's no such thing as, like, objectively good media. And I think most people end up talking about that in terms of, like, judging other work other than their own. But really, I think the people who, who might struggle with it the most are the actual artists, the people who are trying to make something because you are trying to make something good for the most part. Like your ambition is most likely to make something that, that you will consider good and that other people will consider good. You're thinking about the audience. And in the arts, um, you know, that is so difficult to even get to. Like, there is no really accepted standard for what is good. Like, we have ideas about it, but 
um, you know, the most popular stuff is almost never the stuff that critics consider the best. And there's a very clear disconnect between what is popular and what is supposedly good. And so you can look at that and really, you know, ask yourself more questions about the work that you're doing. But when it comes to beauty standards, I think that there seems to be much more of a consensus about what is considered good. And I think it's a real problem facing our society. I think it's a problem that causes most of the uh, the, the self-confidence issues that people have and especially causes people to get all kinds of like cosmetic surgeries so that they can try to be closer to this ideal form that I'm not sure does um, much for anybody. Like personally, when I look at like actresses or – like people who are on magazines and stuff, I do not find them attractive almost ever. I don't think that that that, that like the look, and I didn't even really identify it. I, I mean, I still wouldn't really be able to put it into words for you. It's something I understand better when other people describe it to me. It's not something I have an easy time recognizing myself because I never really paid attention to the way people look growing up. I um, I'm very inward focused. I tend to be wrapped in my own head and not really thinking about other people. If that's not evident from the way that I communicate, um, I don't pay much attention to what people look like or like I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between what somebody on TV looks like and somebody in person looks like until people start telling me. And I don't, I don't really get it. Like I, I have understand that people are trying to copy this look because they're seeing it on TV but does anybody really think it's good? Like, who who is it out there whose taste is specifically the cookie-cutter appearance of the TV personality? I mean, a lot of that stuff is done to look good on camera or on photo. Like, a lot of the... The, you know, like, a facial structure that might be popular amongst actresses is just one that you know, you can light well, I guess. Like, I don't think it's necessarily about, like, being the most attractive you can be, and yet people are copying it because they seem to think that's the case. And, uh, again, I don't know who it's for. Like, uh, in general, the biggest problem with standardization is that it works a little bit for everybody, but it doesn't work that much for anybody. And that is generally my my whole problem with society on the whole. Every Every single element of it my big problem is standardization, and I, I kind of wrote a book about this, um, fixed that for you, which I've still only released to patrons and still not fully edited and still not released as an audiobook and pamphlet as I've been promising for over a year. Maybe I'll get around to it this summer to celebrate the one-year anniversary, one anniversary of having written the goddamn thing. But um, you know, the book is basically about how our society, in order to – make itself grow in order to service a, a continually growing population. We built all these standardized systems through which to, you know, gauge our lives. And we were able to build a complex society using that standardization, but we're no longer trying to do the same thing we were trying to do before. We're no longer concerned about having more people in order to perpetuate industry because now industry is being automated and there's more and more people who don't have work because we don't – we just don't need that many people to operate the society and to continue progressing it forward. It's really only certain ideas that are able to you know, form next steps. So it's like we're at a point where 
The standardization was important for our society for a time, but now it just causes problems. And, like, you can't get rid of it completely all in one go because, I mean, it's, it's like, hard to make an entire country without some kind of standard baseline of what the experience there is supposed to be. But, you know, again, everything that is standardized, it works for some people somewhat. But it doesn't work for anybody all the way. And that's what we need more of. Like the education system in particular is the worst offender that, you know, the standardized education is just be the same thing as being taught to everybody. And with some slight variance, you know, we do have programs to try to identify if a kid is, you know, not the same as other people and maybe put them in a different track or a different program. And there's some effectiveness in that. But it's overall like when I think of my school experience, when I was in second grade, I was put into a a sort of gifted program at my school where it was like a teacher would take aside like 10 or so kids from my grade and we would like have a separate class in the middle of the day that was like the more advanced class, I guess. And on the basis of the fact that I did well there, they sent me to a a gifted school, like a whole school of just like the, the higher level students, I guess it was all the way of fucking across town. And I, all, none of my few friends actually went there, you know? So I lost connection with everybody I knew. Um, great time, pretty much the beginning of my understanding depression, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, third grade, first time I tried to kill myself. Great fucking experience, this gifted school, but no, I went there and my grades started falling because what this school basically did was just give you more work. Like it wasn't that the work was more advanced in particular. It's that there was just more of it, way more homework, way more stuff. And like I was not, I just was not up for that. You know, like I was not up for doing more work. And then when I was in fourth grade, the work was not only more, but just very, um, confusing because there was a lot of expectation that you would be able to use the internet in this class and um, I and a lot of students really didn't know how and the teacher really did not explain how to do the kind of assignments she was giving us um, this teacher was fired not long after I quit because I was the the third of six students to quit this school um, in her class apparently she was canned after that she was a cunt she would literally uh, yell at you for not having done your homework until you cried she did that to kids in class like regularly um, and gave us assignments that were like you know shit that I had never even thought of the concept of how to do so yeah whatever it didn't go very well and my point is you know yeah there was a fast track or whatever there but it really wasn't suited to me it really wasn't going to help me to advance because it wasn't a type of work that I really understood or you know was capable of I mean maybe I'm just retarded and they fucked up by putting me there but you know I went from doing extremely well in school to um to not doing so well and in at least for me it didn't seem like the work was harder it was just you have to actually do homework for like two hours a night and there's no fucking way you're going to convince me to do homework ever. Um, I, most of high school, I just didn't do my homework. I just um, completely ignored it and blew it off, took the hit, had shitty grades, didn't care. Um, so, yeah. <sighs> Where the fuck was I talking about? Right. Beauty standards. Um, again, it's stuff that 
works a little bit for everybody. Like anybody can look at a a pretty face and like appreciate and say, yeah, I, I guess she's you know she's pretty, whatever. But like, is that what you're attracted to? Is that what you think looks the best? Um, and then you have people who like modify their bodies in all these like dangerous ways in order to get closer to that standard. And I don't, it's like you, some, there is somebody out there who's attracted to you specifically as you are. I don't think there's anybody, I mean, there might be some people who are going to be more attracted to you after you have these surgeries, but like, why are you pursuing somebody who's not naturally attracted to you? Like the, everybody has different tastes, you know, like if somebody's only attracted to you if you modify this and that it just means that they should be pursuing somebody else like somebody who is attractive in that way already um you know i i know this is a lot of stuff that like sounds like it makes perfect sense when you say it but like in the in the emotional ether of of human life it's harder to just follow these like this logic um but like it's confounding to me because i see people who you know I mean, personally speaking, I find surgery extremely unattractive. Like, I recognize it when I see it, and it just looks fake because it it fucks with the – everything about your body naturally extends from each other. Like, it all grows in tandem. It all makes sense as a whole. And so when you do something – that changes it, that's obviously not the way it naturally grew, it stands out. It's an uncanny valley effect. And it makes it look, like, I, I, I can't help but be distracted. Like, it's all I can think about is the fact that this part is is not meant to be there, you know? Um, I mean, that's just speaking for me personally. I know there's plenty of people who who find it attractive, but, like, there's also plenty of people who would find you attractive without it. I mean, I guess if you can't find yourself attractive without it and it makes you feel better to have it done, then uh, go for it, you know? But, like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are basing their decision-making on this idea that there is there is a perfect way to look, that if I just altered this and that, I would be attractive. And it's like, you probably are attractive to somebody already, I don't think there's many people who no one on planet Earth would find attractive. Now, it might be that you have difficulty finding someone who's both attracted to you and you're attracted to them, but, like, that's a difficult combination for anybody. You know, it's it's not necessarily – I mean, there's I think there's lots of people who want to – like, who, who want to have sex with that standardized look – because they view it as the standard, it's not even a matter of whether they really find it attractive as so much as being able to say, like, oh, yeah, I, I can fuck a hot girl, you know, or something like that. Or I can fuck a hot guy because, you know, I am hot and therefore I get to – like, it's a social status thing to be able to say that you had sex with somebody who who is an actress, you know, or who looks like an actress. And again – it's, you know, I mean, those, if you feel that way, you're a fucking douchebag. So, yeah, that's my beauty standards rant, I guess, which also got wrapped up in an education rant, as it tends to, uh, everything tends to. And that's it for this episode of the Whirling Dervish podcast. I'm not sure what the schedule of this is going to be ever, if there will be one. I just want a dervish whenever I have the the passion brewing inside of me and then to fucking pump that shit out onto the internet 
ASAP so, you know, so that uh, I can let those feelings go to rest. And uh, I hope you enjoy. If you like this podcast and you think that more people should hear this manic ranting, please share it around. I um, would love for this thing to have a life of its own. It does exist on streaming platforms. So it's not like it's just on my channel on YouTube. It's also on Spotify. It's on Google Play. It's supposed to be on Apple Music. I don't know why it hasn't gotten there yet because Anchor – I'm using Anchor, which is a service that like uploads your shit to everywhere. Um, So yeah, uh, you can listen to this shit in the car on Spotify. Send your friends. Tell them about it. They don't have to know about anime. They don't have to know who Digibro is. That might help on that last episode in particular. But yeah, uh, this is Art So Fartso's Whirling Dervish. And you are dumb, I guess. Show them suffering until it loses all meaning. Tell them everything is broken. They can't fix nothing. Every day is king. Celebrity, anyways. Egomania's the trait we have to look up to nowadays. Crazy 